the law. It doesn't sound like a good statement, does it? Whenever you hear that, you figure I'm in trouble and they're not going to have mercy on me. Here it comes. Or it's a policeman that pulled you over and says, this is what's going on. You said, please, could you just let me off this time? He said, I'm sorry, but it's the law and I have to follow it. Today we're going to talk about a next step in the journey we've been walking through from creation all the way through to now when we begin to see the nation of Israel established by God. An amazing process has taken place as we began with Adam and Eve and we saw them present to us this wondrous creation that fell into a a horrible, how could this have happened, creation that was filled with sin and brokenness and corruption. Following that, we saw these variety of different people show us uh, different pictures of how life was supposed to be and how life was not. We watched their own children killed before their very eyes and the one sent, sent away and left from them. Then we found ourselves with Noah, the only righteous person that God could find in the entire world, or at least in that particular area, and, that, and God, as he clarifies to him, the necessity of building a boat in the middle of the desert because the rains were about to come, and he responds, and for the next hundred years, builds a boat. Interesting picture, by the way, folks, if you begin to work that through a little bit. Following that, we see an establishment of a different group of people, and then a falling down again, where the people are broken off into different languages, and God says, hey, we must... Spread the people across the world so that they don't continue to bring themselves into total condemnation. And then we see some amazing thing as we watch Abraham being set aside by God. We see Isaac as, as the special son. And we see this beginning development of hope and of faith represented by a particular people and a commitment by God that he would continue to bring forth through Abraham's line the Messiah himself and relief for all people and salvation for all those who were willing to respond. And so the process begins to break itself down and Abraham and Isaac and then suddenly you have 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. And after that, these 12 tribes find themselves moved into Egypt and they begin to establish himself, and some 400 years later, I want you to catch that, 400 years later, how old is the United States? Yeah, a little over 200. So 430 years later, we have this nation of millions of people. And you begin to understand why it's millions of people. It's over 400 years later. And this nation that's been established has been grown so much and done so well that the Egyptians have been forced to turn them into slaves. And talks about a pharaoh that was brought up who did not know Joseph. He had forgotten the reason for these people being here. And they become so massive, they said, we're just going to use them as slaves. And so they began to take care of the people and force them into slavery. This continues on until Moses, the one who is drawn out, which is what his name means, is called by God. And after 40 years of shepherding, once he's been removed from Egypt itself, he's called back out of Mount Horeb. God speaks to him clearly, provides him with a remarkable staff, some incredible directives. And he finds himself in front of Pharaoh. And I'm sure he's thinking, what am I doing here? How has this happened? But God continues to show himself over and over and over again. And he turns the cry of Moses from let my people go. And Pharaoh's saying what? No. 
No. Let my people go. No. And finally, Pharaoh himself says, go. Enough. When his own son dies as a result of his unwillingness to follow God's directive and release his people. Which is a new directive, by the way, we begin to see clearly called his people. And the nation of Israel then shows itself as it's brought out. A nation of slaves who own nothing and who are owned by everybody is brought out, taken through the Red Sea, and begins the process of establishing themselves as God's very own people, as God's one and only nation. A remarkable, incredible, unbelievable, miraculous movement of God so that all the people of the entire world would begin to understand who he was and what he was all about. Wow. Well, today I'm going to do something because I need some help from you guys because I haven't done this for a while, okay? <laughs> so this is what I want to do is I will say at the proper time, I'm going to say, get it. And if you get it, say, got it, okay? And I'll say, great. Get it? Great. Okay, good. Now help me a bunch because I'll know that you understand exactly what I said up to that point in time. Totally comprehend what's going on. It was interesting. I was looking recently into prisoners and recidivism. Do you understand what the recidivism of prisoners in California is right now? It's about 70%. 70% of all prisoners return to prison. 70%. 7 out of 10. Only 3 out of 10 make it. 68% throughout the entire U.S. 68% throughout the entire U.S. People say, well, why is this happening? I want you to think for a second. What happens? You go into prison. You're in there for five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years. You're brought out. You're set free. And they say, go for it. And you're like, I can't get a job. I'm a felon. I don't know what to do. I've got $50. I don't have a place to live. But I'm free. So what do you do? You do what got you in the beginning. Pretty soon you say, well, maybe I'll get lucky and I won't get caught this time. And you start going through the process. This is a nation of slaves who've been totally under the domination of Pharaoh and Egypt. They don't think for themselves. They're told what to do, how to do it, and when to do it. Suddenly they find themselves, these millions of people, out in the middle of Nowhere, going, nobody knows where, for nobody knows what. And they begin to suddenly think about what's actually happening. Prior to this time, they're just concerned, how are we going to get food? How are we going to get water? How are we going to handle this? But now it's come to the place where they're saying, what are we doing? What's this all about? And the cries are, as you hear over and over, maybe we should go back to Egypt. At least there, we knew who we were. And what we were supposed to do. And that's the people that Moses is dealing with. And struggling with. And suddenly they find themselves stopped. And Moses tells them, hey, God wants to speak with you. And they're saying, great, we got a couple questions. So today what I want to do is I want to answer a few of those questions that we find in this next section of our journey that we refer to as the giving of the law or the Mosaic Covenant. 
the giving of the law, or the Mosaic covenant. Okay, so we begin to understand that something is, is going to take place here where the nation is established and God is actually going to give them a government structure for them to live on and with for the next X amount of times, you don't know how far, prior to the time that Jesus would come back. So here is the primary verse for us today, and it's really found in the New Testament. It's this. The law came through who? Moses. But grace and truth comes from? Yeah. Okay. So that's really what we're, that's the verse we're looking at today. So the law comes from Moses at this point in time to the nation of Israel to establish him, enlighten them, bring them understanding. And later on, when they recognize the inability of the law to bring about any kind of salvation, God will bring the Messiah and provide them with the opportunity to respond to this wondrous, incredible gift. So the two questions, if you break it down to the first one, is simply this. What do you want? That's pretty obvious. God has brought them out of Egypt. This is a God they really didn't know. They didn't understand. They tried to call themselves special and exclusive, but really they were just a bunch of slaves. And they're saying, God, what do you want? We believe you're God. You've shown us miracle after miracle after miracle. We know you're God, but what do you want? And God responds to them and tells them, look, I brought you here, and I'm going to lead you to a promised land. I want a relationship with you, where you are my people, my distinctive people. I'm the only true God, and you are the only nation that will be called by my name. You're a special nation that's going to be set apart to represent me to all other nations. You are literally to be my ambassadors to the world. Okay? Well, what do you want us to do? Is the next question. And he says, I want you to be people who follow a code of conduct that I'm going to lay out for you so you can live out your identity. You're going to be my priests. You're going to deliver my truth. You're to occupy a land that I've set aside for you to drive out those who have chosen not to follow me and not to live in accordance with the directions that I've given for life and for living. Those are the answers, but let's break it down a little bit farther. Exodus 19, Exodus 19, verses 3 through 6. Exodus 19, verses 3 through 6. I want you to turn there. That's one of the primary areas we'll be looking at today. As we talk about this question of, okay, Lord, what exactly... Are you saying to us, who are we and what do you want of us? It says, starting with verse 3, chapter 19, book of Exodus, if you're there. Then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and he said, this is what you are to say to the house of Jacob. This is what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourself, you've seen what I did to Egypt. How I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. And although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that you are to speak to the Israelites. So God begins to answer this first question. What do you want? He says, I desire a relationship with you as my people. That's the cry of God. Just I have a relationship with Moses, so I want to have that same relationship with you. 
and understand of who I am, of how to live with me, how to walk with me. You see, God understands that before you can give a set of rules to anybody, before you can get a set of instructions to anybody, especially before you give a set of commandments to anybody, you need to have a relationship with that person. So they understand who you are and why you're doing this. And then we find ourselves willing and able to respond to the directive that that person gives us. Because we know who they are. We recognize what's going on. And we say, well, we'll try. We'll work it out. Let's see how we can make this happen. And God recognizes that rules without a relationship lead only to, if you're a parent, you know the, you know the fill in blank on this one, rebellion. Rules without relationship lead only to rebellion. God grasps and tries to teach him these truths. I lay down some rules for my kids to follow. And I tell them, I'll see you in a week. And if you break any of these rules, I'm going to kick your behind. Of course, I'm not going to do that. That would be silly. I know for sure that it's not going to happen. It's not going to work. All I'm going to bring about it, and I'm going to foster a spirit of anger and bitterness and rebellion. How can I be called their father if I'm unwilling to father them, to care for them? I am able to give them directives and rules because they are my children. And I'm their father. One of the biggest struggles within a blended family structure is that for the, for the children, whether they're boys or girls, whenever there's a trouble situation, the stepfather steps in and he says, this is what we need to do. And they turn to him and they say, you're not my father. And you're like, what am I supposed to do? You're supposed to build relationship with them so they can begin to see you as their father. And until that happens, you're out of luck. You just have to continue the process until God honors that relationship so that they're willing to respond to you. If you're in a work relationship and the only time you see your boss is on evaluation day, it's not a happy relationship, is it? It's like, oh, here he comes. My once a year evaluation from the guy who doesn't know me, doesn't know what I do, and doesn't know what's going on. Hope he's in a good mood. We understand this intuitively. And God is saying, first of all, folks, you need to have a relationship with me and then you'll begin to understand what it is I'm telling you and why I'm telling you these things. He walks them through the basics to his and he says, look, I did all these wonderful things in terms of I showed you my power, I provided for you, I gave you protection, and I did all these things because I want to draw you to me and I want you to feel comfortable and confident and secure in who I am and in who you are. That's why I did all these things. I demonstrated my power when I brought you out of Egypt, out of slavery. Then you come up to the Red Sea and you said, oh no, it's the end, it's not going to work. And I spread the Red Sea out and you walk through. When people attacked you, I miraculously destroyed them. Time and time again, I showed you my ability. When you were hungry, I brought you manna from heaven. Miraculously, every morning on the ground would be this phenomenal bread. And you liked it for a while. But the bottom line was, I provided everything you needed. Not everything you wanted, everything you needed. I even gave you water out of a rock. I tried to show you over and over how powerful I am, how protective I am, and how I can take care of every situation in your life. God is saying, I did all these things so that I might have a relationship with you. And so you might understand who I am as God. And you might be able to respond to me in a marvelous way and that all the people of the world could look upon you with awe. Say, my goodness, 
Who is this God that they represent? And then he goes on to say, in fact, I want to make you a special treasure. So treasured that it's the most marvelous thing that anyone ever could have. I want you to be that. That's my desire for each one of you. Last Wednesday, Anthony and Brenda Garboskis, they had a little baby girl. And I go, oh, and I, went, I got to see her last night and holding the baby. And I said, you know, I give her 50 bucks, 50 bucks for the baby. And they said, 50 bucks. How about a million? No, sorry. Whether he's truthful or not, they recognized this possession was so valuable. Now, in a few weeks, I can go back and make another offer. It'll be the same response. Hesitant, but still the same response. (laughs) Because this possession is such a big deal. I would die for my children without question. It's not a problem. It's not effort. And that's the cry of God. He said, you are my treasure possession. I brought you out of Egypt because I want you to know who I am. I want you to understand about life. No longer will you be a slave to anything or anyone. You'll begin to understand truth. You begin to grasp what sin is and how to respond to it so that it doesn't overwhelm you and your life. Now, they didn't expect this response. These are slaves, and the only thing they expected was, you will do whatever I tell you to do. That's what. That's what they expected. Instead, they have this marvelous set of insights from God, and they're like, what do we do with this? Is he really being truthful? Moses, did he really say that? We can't comprehend this idea our whole life. Our whole life. It's been one in which we had to live with fear and rejection and authority. And so they find themselves fearful of what is about to happen. And after we begin to see the answer to the next question that they had, which is, what do we need to do? Following that presentation they all say a horrible a horrible thing at the end of it at the end of the presentation of what we refer to as the ten commandments they say Moses you go and talk to God and we'll stay here and you tell us what he tells you because that's all we can handle and what they're saying is we're so frightened to have a relationship with God we can't handle it Moses you take care of it and I think God is so saddened by that response and so upset by that response because they have rejected his love and traded it in for a set of rules that they don't even understand why they're there or what they're for. And see, that's the cry of the stories that goes on down. Instead of responding in faith with a sense of wonder about what God would do and who he was, they respond with fear and question and hesitation. Now, many of you do the same thing, though, before we get too, too far along here. Don't we struggle with this whole thing? Well, God, if I get this much closer, you're going to ask me to give up all these things. And I won't be able to. And Christianity is just a series of don'ts. I can't do that. I'm willing to show up on Sundays periodically. How does that sound, God? But relationship with you. No, let the pastor speak to me. You talk to him, he can talk to me. Do you see what's going on? We fall into that same pattern, that same tendency. Get it? 
Great, great. See, I waited a little while before I threw that one in on you. You guys did great there. See, the law came from who? Moses. But grace and truth came from Jesus. Now, you begin to see the picture here. You see the law. We're going to say, okay, here's the law presenting. Everybody can say, look what God has done. Look what he's brought forth here. This nation, all these wondrous things. The response was, we're too scared to have a relationship with you. Okay, show us what do we have to do exactly. It's like your child. And you say, okay, I'd like for you to mow the lawn. And you go, okay. Today, okay. At 10 o'clock, okay. Yes, you have to weed it too. Okay. And I want it to be all picked up, cleaned up. Oh, you see, that's the picture going on. What exactly do you want of us, God? Give us specifics so we can do as little as we have to do. Little as we have to do. So that's the second question. They're saying, what do we have to do? And God says it simply. He says, you need to do two things. You need to follow the law and you need to follow me. You need to follow the law and you need to follow me. So God, through Moses, provides an amazing set of boundaries, a set of specifics to clarify exactly what he meant, a code of conduct that will set them apart from all other nations. And this is referred to now as the Mosaic covenant, a promise that God makes to them. And he says, if you will follow these directives that I've laid out, then I will bless you in miraculous ways. But if you don't, then curses will fall into your life because you're not following the directive that I gave you about living life out. Where previously the Abrahamic covenant, remember that one, was unconditional. So the previous covenant was one given by God to Abraham saying, I will bring through you a nation and the Messiah himself, unconditional. No conditions. But now to the people and the nation himself, he begins to lay out the second step. And he says, now you guys have conditions that you need to follow and understand and respond to. So the Mosaic Covenant is a conditional covenant laid out here. You are to follow the directives of the Ten Commandments and you are to be God's chosen people. So we say, I've often had people say, you know, I really try to follow the Ten Commandments. Okay, that's great. Tell me what they are. And they'll go, "Uh, don't murder. I said, good, you got one. Uh, Don't steal. Good, you got another one. Don't lie. Good, you got another one. By the way, don't tell me you know the Ten Commandments when you don't. (laughs) said, oh, there, there are ten, right? Well, and I said, yeah, let's take a fun look at it through this little clip we've got to help us out. That's unique. I go, okay, that, that worked. Give us a little clarification of this Ten Commandments structure here. So we begin to grasp something. That's this, that the Ten Commandments are a set of directives that really are more of a, uh, excuse the best term I can use, they're more of a level than they are a statement of direct laws. They are the principles behind the laws that God wants to give. So as he walks through these series of this picture of laws, um, as you put them all together, then they work incredibly well. But if you don't put them all together, then you end up with things in a crooked place rather than a straight place. Uh, anyone, I, I know all you guys are carpenters here. Okay? And any decent carpenter, and I'm a crummy one, okay? but understands that with the level, you have three different bubbles. And the trick is you need to line up the bubbles correctly to get a straight line or to get something to hang in the right way. Now, I always struggled with that because I would 
you know, I, I'd look at this and I said, this just doesn't feel right to me. It just doesn't, I'd put it up there and I'd go, you know, I just, and I'd take it off and I'd just put the nail where I wanted to put it and hang it. And I'd say, no, that looks fine. <laughs> I would adjust myself to the crookedness of that particular thing. And my wife would come home and go, who did that? I'd say, I didn't have a level. I didn't, didn't have a level. I didn't use the level, lining the bubbles up. So God gives this set of code of conduct that are to follow that would answer the age-old question, you need to get this, what's right, what's wrong? They didn't know at this point in time. There were no rules laid out by anybody. There was no clarification of what was right and wrong. It's okay to steal as long as you're bigger than the other guy. And he was weaker. And he was smaller. And he wasn't one of your family. You begin to see how the laws that were put into place were all put into place according to the person who wanted it to happen in a positive way to them. And we see that in various dictators today. They lay out a structure and say, this is all laid out in accordance with my directives so that I can get the best and you're out of luck. Like, what's going on here? What's happening? God lays out this phenomenal set of directives and says, look, here is a code of conduct that is true. That is true. That I put together long ago at the beginning of time in relationship to the laws of life. So he begins out with, he says, first and foremost, he says it three different times in three different ways, I must be the center in your life. I must be the core element in your life. I must be recognized as special and above everything else in your life. Here, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God, and you will worship him and him alone. That is the center of life. He says, until you grasp this, nothing else will make any sense. You don't misuse my name. You don't put up any other idols. In every way, you recognize that I am first, I am second, I am third. And after that, fourthly, you worship me on a regular basis. You go, oh, this is interesting. God is saying, if you don't make me the sinner, your bubble will be out of balance. And your life will be what? Crooked. Crooked. It will not work out well for you. You will continue to find yourself being destroyed in a variety of ways. I must be valued above all else because I am the supreme value. I am. I'm the one who carries the most weight. I have to be in front. If you don't do that, you'll never understand what's really going on. If we insist on being first, we'll end up being last. But if we insist on God being first, then we'll end up first in the results of God's response to us. The first will be last. The last will be first. Ten simple directives, boundaries, concerning life and living, civil and religious and moral life. They deal with faith and family and friends. How we respond to each one. It's not a statement of salvation or how to obtain it. It's a declaration of our need to live out a life that responds to God's truth. And as we begin to live it out, we go, wow, this is so wonderful. And then we fail and we go, Lord, what am I supposed to do now? And the law begins to declare to us a simple fact. We can't do it. As wonderful as it is, I can't do it. I fall into sin over and over and over again. And instead of God being first, my own selfish desires become first. And it brings destruction to me, but I just can't stop it. 
See, the law declares our impotence, not our competence. The law points out to us the truth. It's a mirror on the wall that we look in and we go, I'm not getting any younger. I'm getting fatter. I'm getting uglier. Oh, my goodness. It wasn't true when they said, when you get older, you get better. I'm just getting older. The reality is in front of us. I'm failing these particular areas. I'm failing to love God. And I'm failing to love my neighbor. In fact, when my neighbor gets in trouble, you know what I do? I look at my wallet and say, I don't know how much I have, if I can help him or not. What about me? What about me? And then I realize, oh no, if I'm only focused on me, it won't work. The values don't work. All that God has set into place won't work. And then again, understand, he tries to teach him that the law, in order for it to work, you have to cooperate with it, not ignore it or refuse to abide by it. You have to cooperate with the law, whether they moral or civil laws or whatever. And we begin to understand that in our physical laws. If you jump out of a plane from 10,000 feet and you ignore the laws of gravity, unless you happen to be Egypt and have a parachute on, you're done. You can say all you want while you go down before you hit the ground. I don't believe anything's going to happen. Life is good. It's a wonderful day. Yeah, and that's that. There are laws set up, and God is trying to tell us, here are ten wonderful laws for you to live by, values that are to be held above everything else, because if you follow these principles, your life will be balanced as opposed to crooked, and you'll begin to experience all that you all want. And suddenly, for all of Israel, is no longer what you think is right or what you think is wrong, but it's what did God say? What did God say? And the truth is laid out before them, and they understand how you begin to live life. So Paul reminds us in this New Testament area when he says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Well, certainly not. I would not have known what sin was except through the law. I go, ah, the law clarifies to us what we wondered all along. Did I do anything wrong? My conscience sometimes is too tender. It's sometimes not tender enough because it was meant to be an aid to the law, not a law in and of itself. So the law frees us from the struggle of our conscience and allows us to know true truth before a lie becomes the overwhelming force in our lives. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. As you all know, I really enjoy golf. Okay, and the reason I enjoy golf, it's, 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 just, it's just this odd game. One day I can be really good at it, and the next day I'm just awful. And I, I can't always figure it out. I'm always working at trying to figure it out. I went to a golf pro, because that's what you do when you get really bad. Like, help, help me, Lord. And he says, go to a golf pro. Okay, so God sent me to the golf pro. And I got to the golf pro, and he said, okay, let's see what you got. You know, and I took his swings, and he said, okay, we got some work to do. I'm thinking, oh, I didn't think it was that bad. And he says, it's pretty bad. Okay, well, he says, okay, lady. And he begins to restructure me, moves me over this way, moves this thing up here and that thing over there. And I'm going, and he says, okay, this is what we want. And I went, you know what I said? I said, that doesn't feel right. It just doesn't feel right. And he says, I know, and what you were doing before felt good, but it was wrong. I went, okay. And he said, so if you want to do right then you'll get the results eventually that even feel right. But Lee, you've gone so far down the bad path that you think the wrong stuff is the right one. 
It's not this. Listen to me. Look me in the face. Listen to me. Okay, I'm listening. Do it the way I tell you. I know the right way. That's why you're paying me the big bucks. Then I started to listen. <laughs> I said, okay, okay, what do I do? And it, it's amazing change when you begin to follow it. And interestingly enough, gradually, the right swing became something that I could feel. And I knew that's what I wanted to feel. And everything changed. And that's, that's the cry here in relationship to our conscience, what we're feeling, and to truth. And we begin to grasp it and live according to it. And we go, wow, this is so cool. But before, nobody had any standard. There were no golf pros to show them how to play golf. They were just, I don't know, what do you think? I don't know, what do you think? God says, here's what I think. And it's really the only thing that matters. So we begin to recognize the inadequacy of the law. It was never given for their salvation or for our salvation. It was given for our insight and our understanding about true truth. So God lays out this amazing set of principles. and He says, this is how you need to learn to live life. Put this, every time you're getting ready to hang something on the wall, put this level up there and check it against it. And when you make the decision you'll find yourself making the right one on a regular basis. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. You could circle conscious of sin. Get it? Great. Now, some of you are going, I kind of get it. I understand. This is not a simple concept to get a hold of, but this is all that God is trying to teach us in relationship to the law. The law's purpose was not to remove our guilt. It's the law's purpose to expose our guilt and for us to cry out, God, I need help. And he says, I know, and it's coming. Be ready for it. Don't deceive yourself. Recognize what's to happen. So when Jesus talked and they said, well, what about the law? And Jesus says, oh, you don't understand. The law could be summed up very easily in two simple statements. One, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. And typical legalistic people said, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus is going, ah, oh. Father, Father, Father. So then he tells him a story that we know as the Good Samaritan. And after he gets done with this great story, who does what, da, 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 and he turns to him, he says, now, who was the neighbor? He didn't say who is the neighbor. He said, who was the neighbor? He flipped everything around so we could understand it. Now, oh, so you're telling me that my neighbor, and I've got to love my neighbor, is the person that's in need because I'm supposed to be the neighbor he goes, you got it. Good, you got it. Love others as yourself. Recognize their need before your own. Oh, boy, Lord, you're going too far. If you do this, then I become the one that you become dependent upon to take care of this stuff, and I will do it. Haven't I done it before? Will I continue to do it again? The law's purpose won't remove our guilt. It exposes our guilt. And it begins to help us understand that we're not living in the manner that God desires for us to do. We're not truly God's family. He wanted to bring in the Israelites, help them all understand he's part of their family so they can become like him. I've seen adopted kids be brought into a family and, you know, they come in at one year old and at 12 they look just like their dad. I'm not kidding. Time after time I'm going, there's no way that's not your child. 
I've seen dogs that look like their dad. Check out Glenn's dogs. Look just like him. There's something about relationship that happens when we all get together. My son say, Dad, we got the same nose you do, and it stinks. I said, I think I know what you mean. You smell better with it. That stinks. It's like, what's with this relationship thing? God says, as you develop a relationship with me, you will become like me. You'll understand the whys and the wherefores and the how-tos. So the law's intent was simply to declare how we've been designed. We have abilities and gifts that God has given to care for one another, not to be focused on your own selfish stuff. You've been given it so you can give it away so he can give you more. And that is so stinking hard for us to do. But as you love the Lord your God above all else, as he becomes the center of our life, then it all begins to come together. So as he says in Galatians, the Lord kept us in prison. The law kept us in prison <laughs> until it led us to Jesus. As he had the key to get us out. The law helps us to see what we need to be and do. But God's grace changes our hearts and gives us the desire and the ability to do it. God's grace changes us. So the law was inadequate to deal with our fears. Inadequate to grace our guilt. Inadequate to deal with our shame. And the people responded to God with, Moses, we can't do this. You become the spokesman for God and we'll listen to you. How sad. So they become a group of people frightened about what's going to happen. How many of you, when you get a police car behind you, go, yeah, isn't it great? Got a guy behind me. He's bringing safety and security. I want to just give him a high five, reach out my hand out the window. Hey, remove that cell phone real quick. Hey. No, we see it behind us and we go, oh, no, I did I do anything. Did I circle last time? I'm going too fast. You know, that's what we do because we're scared. And then when the lights go on, not that that's ever happened to you, the lights go on and you go, oh, boy. And it pulls you over and you're thinking, you know, obviously he has something good to share with me. Help me to understand more clearly the rules of the road. You know, it's, uh, maybe I have a broken tail light, whatever, and he's going to help me out. And he walks up to you. And instead of it being a normal guy, it's somebody you actually know that's a policeman. And then what happens to you? Relieved. Oh, it's Rapoli. It's okay. That's not true. <laughs> but it is partially true. Because now it's somebody that I trust and that I know coming to share with me something I may have done wrong, but I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. I can deal with that. And that's the difference that God does. He doesn't take away the law. He says, I want to be with you when the law pulls you over because I'm in charge. It's like having the judge in the passenger seat. And Rich goes, oh, judge, how are you doing? The judge says, I'm doing just fine. How are you? Good. Just wanted to say hi to you guys. Have a good day. And off you drive. You see, the focus here is that the law brings fear into our lives because we don't have a relationship with God that takes away that fear and replaces it with a sense of faith and a sense of, I wonder what it is that I can do better, how God can lead and direct me, how he can change me by his wondrous grace. I want him in center position of my life because when that happens, life makes sense. Our values make sense. 
Jesus comes to clarify to us. He says, I am the fulfillment of the law. What does that mean? He says, I'm not only the provider of the ability to redeem us from the payment that the law demands, but I'm the one who will enable us to fulfill more and more and more of the law as God becomes more and more the center in our life and we no longer find ourselves responding negatively to the law. We find ourselves wanting to cooperate with the law to understand it and to use it. So it becomes like the law of aerodynamics. We learn how to build the plane that will actually enable us in this big steel thing to fly across hundreds and hundreds of miles at hundreds of miles per hour. And if you think about it, you go, what am I doing in this thing? What am I doing in here? This is the craziest thing I've ever seen. But you know it works because it follows the laws that God has set up. And we begin to understand life works because we follow the law that Moses gave. But we understand that grace and truth came with Jesus. So God helps Israel to understand right from wrong, how to deal with it. He calls them to be his people, to be a blessing to all that are around him, to understand this wondrous truth that he's laid out for them to begin to follow. And now they become a true nation, a nation with a government a nation with an understanding of who God is, and a nation with a calling by God specifically, powerfully, to be different than everybody and everything around them, to be his people. And that's the cry of the law as we walk through the story of God. From Abraham, go where God leads you, overcoming our fears. From Adam and Eve, the struggle that you're going to have in marriage relationships you need to be aware of. The reality of sin. From Noah's faith. To do what seems odd to others if God is clearly directing it. From Isaac, the only son who clarifies the sacrifice that was needed and was yet to come of God's son himself. And then the 12 sons that would come from him, becoming the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel, which didn't exist at this point in time, but by faith they believed it would happen. And a result of a terrible response to one of the sons himself, God brings forth, 430 years later, the wonderful nation of Israel. And so even today, our secular world, and it's on, by the way, you can go watch it, has Joseph's marvelous technicolor coat. And we get to see this incredible, incredible, miraculous presentation of how God worked in one man's life. And that's what we're doing here. We're walking through the stories that have worked from person to person to person to person. And now, in the person of Moses, God opens it up and he says, no longer will it just be persons. Now, it will be referred to as the nation of Israel. And we'll begin to see God working through this nation, person by person, recognized within it, but always with an understanding that through this wonderful nation, I will bring forth my Messiah, who then will respond to the entire world. The next step that had to come into play because of the unwillingness or the inability, whatever we want to say, of those that were called, that we know as Israel. Again a nation, again doing some miraculous things where we begin to say, God, what are you doing? And how are you doing it? Hopefully we'll answer some more of those questions in the days to come. So we see this wonderful, glorious, new nation, a group of people who will all become landowners who previously had only known 
slavery. And we begin to get a picture of God referring to each one of us that although we were slaves to sin, now we can become friends with God. Friends of God, children of God, if we respond to this wondrous opportunity that he cries out to us and he says, I want to have a relationship with you. I I want you to listen to me and I want to talk with you and I want to listen to you every day. I want to spend time with you and help you to understand why values are values and why other things are not. I, I want you to grasp the truth of what life is truly all about and not be deceived into thinking that it's all about you. Because it's not. It's far, far greater than that. A desire to build a relationship where we can understand the whys and enable us to be changed so we can apply the how-tos. No longer fearful of God as they come before Him, but desirous of more and more and more faith. As I admit my sin, and I believe that Jesus can take care of it, and then as he does, I recognize him every day more and more as Lord of each area of my life. I have to start with the recognition of my need. And the law brings us that place saying, you are guilty. And Jesus says, but I want to take care of that payment today. You guys remember the, there was an old, I actually still got it, Price is Right. They still run the price right. Remember that? They, they lay out, they see they have one particular thing that I always liked, and that was that they would have two different items. When I was there with Mary, she'd always get it because it'd be like a grocery thing. Which one is worth more? You know, I liked it when they did the cars. They have a brand new Mercedes, and they have a Fiat. Which one is worth more? And I go, I know. The Mercedes. Go, yeah. Okay. Then they flip to something a little more difficult. They say, okay, no problem. I can figure one. Which one is worth more? I said, Okay, second thing is, which one's worth more, telling the truth or being promoted at work? And I go, telling the truth, unless it's a big promotion. And so, oh, no, no, okay, come on, let's get it going. Well, what is worth more, loving God or winning the lottery? And your response is, can I do both? God begins to lay out real values. And he says, this is what is important and this is not. And when you begin to misunderstand them, your life will get so mixed up that everything will be crooked and nothing will be straight. That's the cry of God to us today. He's saying, hey, make your crooked ways straight. Come to me and I will relieve you. I will relieve you of your guilt and of your shame and I will replace it with a wondrous understanding of a relationship that I want to have with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this story that we're able to look at and remind us of how we fit into it, how we're part of it. Boy, have I seen that over the last 40 years. We are part of a marvelous, marvelous story. And today I'd ask that anyone here that doesn't know you, that they take that chance, even today, and simply cry out and say, Father, I desperately need to know you. And I ask that you might place your son Jesus into my life that you'd take away my sin and that you'd allow me the wonderful, wonderful thing of knowing relief and forgiveness. And then show me how to live. Show me who you are. Thank you as you do it. For I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to close our service with an offering. We're going to do it now because I went a little long. But it's been a long time. 
been a long time.